You're listening to the Crypto Markets Wiki podcast, brought to you by John Lothian News. I'm Matt Rabel, and today we're going to be discussing security token offerings, crypto markets infrastructure, and the regulation of the crypto markets with Juan Hernandez, founder and CEO of the Open Finance Network. Hello, I'm Matt Rabel, and I'm here with Juan Hernandez of Open Finance Network. Juan, uh, you want to say hi to our listeners? Yeah, hey, thanks for having me back, Matt. Uh, love spending time with the Lothian team. Yeah, yeah, it's our pleasure to have you as always. Uh, so do you want to uh, give a little background for our listeners as far as who you are and where you come from and uh, what uh, what you guys have been up to lately? Yeah, absolutely. So so my background quickly, um, I've been in the fintech and alternative asset space for close to 20 years now, mm-hmm. um, starting out uh, doing um, uh, algorithmic trading, uh, building virtual financial exchanges and, and uh, working on various crowdfunding uh, businesses over the last couple of years. But back in 2014, we started uh, what is now Open Finance. Um, and at the time, we were very much focused on basically becoming the NASDAQ for alternative assets. That was sort of our big, lofty goal. Um, we started out in the crowdfunding asset sector, um, basically identifying that there's a huge pain point with these, with these uh, crowdfunded assets, the mm-hmm. issue of liquidity, what happens after you actually buy one of these instruments. Um, and so we set about to tackle that issue of, of, of the liquidity challenge in the market. Um, fast forward a couple of years, um, you know, we, we started adopting um, non-listed REITs and other types of instruments into our uh, platform. And then in, at the end of 2016, we started exploring blockchain technology. Um, and, and like every other major financial exchange out there, we saw opportunities on the clearing and settlement side. Uh, and so we began exploring and, and you know, we're well positioned for 2017 and, and, and the, the crypto boom, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we saw an opportunity to really um, work with these new types of digital securities that were coming to the market. And so mm-hmm. that kind of brings us up to today now where yeah. we are a uh, SEC and FINRA registered broker dealer and ATS, an alternative trading system. And we're set up to trade these digital securities or security tokens or STOs or whatever you want to call them. Um, we, we call them digital securities, but yeah, um, yeah that, that brings us to where we're at today. Going off of security token offerings, I know there's still a lot of confusion. You know, not everybody knows the difference between, I mean, not everyone knows what a cryptocurrency is, for right. example, or the difference between, you know, blockchain and distributed ledger technology. Yeah. But what, uh, in your own words, I guess, is the biggest difference between an ICO and what you guys do, which is an STO? Yeah. You know, we, some people are very quick to compare them and say, oh, it's, well, it's just, you change two letters and you got one and the other. But yeah. we, we do try to distinguish, try to keep them far apart because to us, an ICO is very much a, a unregulated instrument that, you know, there are no real rules or framework around it. And, and, and quite frankly, a lot of people got hurt during the yeah. ICO boom of 2017. So for us, you know, an STO, a security token offering, or, or again, as we like to refer to them as digital securities, it complies with the um, SEC securities law framework that, that's out there today. And so, you know, these are instruments that most people um, have probably had some exposure to. So, so, so um, instruments like Regulation D offerings, which is what most private companies use to raise capital. 
Um, there's Regulation S, which is more for uh, international investors, and then there's Regulation A plus and CF, which is more akin to the crowdfunding stuff from earlier days. But, but really, at the end of the day, these are underneath the covers. These are just securities, like most people, uh, you know, have likely had exposure to. So you. We like to try to remove that exotic element of it, of like what is an ICO and what are these yeah. you know types of tokens, and just kind of really bring it back to these are securities, traditional private securities, just in a new digital format that opens up a lot of possibilities and makes them easier to invest in, makes it easier to manage your uh, in, uh, your portfolio with them, and it makes it easier to transfer ownership in them in, in the form of trading or something right. like that. Or trading through security tokens have. Um does it has have any uh, advantages over other forms of trading? Would you say? Yeah. So so historically, these alternative assets have been highly illiquid. Right. Uh, it's typically they're paper based, and there's not really a market for them. And and, and a lot of these instruments do kind of bear um, a you know ha- have a, a a structure that's not really meant to be traded often, right? So you look at um, real estate or private equity, right? These are instruments that people know are five to seven year hold periods. And so they're not really set up to be a freely traded in a short time frame. And so yeah. what the digital security format does is, is not only does it bring a lot of um, a lot of efficiencies both during the primary offering and, and over the management of, this, of the instrument, but then when someone does want to seek the option of liquidity, there are secondary markets like ours at Open Finance that then because of the digital nature of the security can more easily transact that security with other other participants. So okay. historically, where you might have to go get your paper certificate, you know, pull it out of the safe that you keep in your basement, and and um, you know, secure the necessary signatures, and, and put a gold medallion signature guarantee stamp on it, and then mail it to a transfer agent somewhere. Now you can do it all online in in a digitized format. First of all, congratulations! I recently heard that you guys moved out of beta in well. In December, so yeah. not exactly recent reason, yeah. but over the past couple of months. Um, how's it going? Good, good. The, our, our beta period was very long. Uh, we, we had to really test out a lot of different features on the platform, um, work with our partners who, who um, uh, provide a lot of the necessary data and information we need to, to, to have an operational market. But yes, so, so uh, yes, in, in we actually moved out of beta at the end of November, but I believe we announced in December. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, since then, we've been trading uh, a variety of digital securities in our platform, uh, instruments like Blockchain Capital, for example, which is a, a digitized venture capital uh, mm-hmm. fund. And so, so the the issuer of that instrument is a is a venture capital firm based out of San Francisco, right? And it's so it's, it's a Silicon Valley fund that obviously specializes in blockchain, as their name implies. Um, but they tokenize one of their offerings, and now it's it's an instrument that can be freely traded on our platform, um, and it, it just opens up a, a lot of new potential for for different investors. So. Just the other day, I was speaking with someone from the EU that said, you know, that that was able to participate in this offering. Now, it's that it's unprecedented that someone from the EU would simply have access to a Silicon Valley venture capital fund without knowing the right people and without having, for example, two hundred and fifty k minimum to invest in. Like having access to these types of offerings now is, is simply, you know, it's, it's a game changer. That's really amazing. I've uh, been following OFN for some time now, and uh, it seems like you guys are really doing a lot in the crypto space as far as helping build an infrastructure. Yes. Right? So you have partnerships with 
Huobi. Am I pronouncing it right? Huobi. I'm never sure it's, how it's, to pronounce Huobi. I believe it's something like Hobi. Hobi. Excuse yes. me. <laughs> My apologies to Hobi. Yeah. Hobi Securitize with a Z. Yes. And then Polymath, Coinbase, and of course Blockchain Capital. Um, obviously, these these firms have um, have a lot to gain for um, the current crypto markets developing an actual infrastructure. Right. Right now, it's it's the wild west. Right. Yes. So it seems like OFN is uh, is doing a lot to help bring, uh, meet those needs. Yeah, you know, it, it is funny. We it's still very much early days. Obviously, last year was earlier days, yeah. but but our the main role we saw for ourselves in the industry was, was that of infrastructure building. Um, we, we you know a lot of the pipes that we're building out are things that we, we hope others can also leverage, and and we see our position also as as, as um trying to set best practices and standards in the industry. Because to yeah. your point, it's just such a wild, wild west still. Um, but as we work with our partners, we're trying to lay down that that framework that then we can continue to build on top of um, and, and, and truly grow the market to the potential where, where we think yeah. it can be. Because uh, today it's still very small. Um, right. and, and certainly you know, aspects like the, the broader crypto winter have, um, have dampened some of the activity um, but right now, you know, we're seeing a lot of renewed participation from uh, folks uh, small and large, including institutional players who are now looking at this market and seeing the opportunity within digital securities to really um, renovate kind of how you do private securities and alternative assets in general. On uh, Open Finance Network's homepage, it says uh, sort of a roadmap for the development of the company and the platform. I couldn't help but notice it says sometime in 2019 there, or at least there was, plans for some sort of custodial service. Uh, is that still on the docket or is that? Uh... Yeah, you know, as a whole, the, the industry is still looking for answers around custody from the regulators. So that's one of the things that we see as critical for, for, the, for the broader development of the markets, right? A lot of additional clarity from, from the regulators in terms of uh, aspects of custody, for example, or, or how, how some um, you know, advisors can, can transact in these types of instruments. And so custody is one of the big ones. It's across the board, there's still a lot of direction we're waiting on from the SEC. Mm -hmm. um, while they have put out guidance on other aspects of how you work with these digital assets, custody is notably still missing in, in terms of some of their guidance material. Uh, but it is something that we do expect uh, towards the second half of this year. So it's something that I think the industry is eagerly awaiting uh, some kind of guidance as to you yeah. know, what constitutes a good, a good control location for the custody of digital securities. And so right. I think it's certainly something we'll see later this year that that'll then lead to a lot more interest from institutional players because right now a lot of the institutional folks are waiting on an answer to that question. Do you think that's, uh, a lot of people seem to think that more regulatory clarity is, is kind of the, um, the dam that's holding back the, the tide, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, would you agree with that? I, I would say yes and no. I would say broadly, yes. You, certainly those of us deep in the weeds feel that there's been sufficient clarity given around a lot of um, aspects. So for example, you know, what constitutes a security? Right. You know, there, there are a lot of folks who still you know, are, 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 are howling loudly that, hey, we need more guidance around this. But for those of us that are you know, obviously with, within the securities industry, we, the guidance has been very clear 
around what constitutes a security and the fact that right, a lot how of, we test. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How we test it. The SEC put out additional guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't, let me clarify that, it wasn't necessarily additional. It was not new mm-hmm. direction or new rules. It was just almost providing modern day examples of how the how we test applies to digital securities. Um, and so a lot of the complaints that people had were, you know, the how we test this was from decades ago. How does it apply to, you know, blockchain? And so uh, the SEC provided, you know, further examples of, okay, here's how the how we test applies <laughs> to digital securities right. and, and these digital assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that was helpful, I think, to kind of further uh, solidify it and make very concrete the fact that a lot of these tokenized offerings are in fact securities. Um, yeah. So, so in that sense, there has been a lot of guidance given. But, but as I touched on earlier, the the custody issue, was, you know, there's still additional guidance needed there. And so, so do I believe it's a dam, like a damning effect, if you mm-hmm. will? I I think so, simply because of the scale of the players that are still sitting on the sidelines, waiting for guidance around custody. Because you know, even on the um, pure cryptocurrency side, there's still um, you know a lot of players that that want additional guidance around how do you custody something like a Bitcoin in a way that uh, is scalable and in a way that complies with regulation. And so I think as a broader industry, I think that there's a, there is a damning effect that's kind of waiting to burst once we receive this additional guidance in a good way. It doesn't mean, <laughs> doesn't mean just yeah. flooding the streets, but but I think it, it'll. It'll bring further renewed interest and I think bring this to a more uh, institutionalized market, which ultimately benefits the retail investors as well. Right, right, right. right. I should clarify when I said damning effect, I wasn't referring to the (laughs) catastrophic effects of a dam breaking loose. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Meant that to be fairly positive, obviously. But actually, it was interesting that you brought up on the cryptocurrency side. Crypto, um, this is another thing that I feel like a lot of people are unclear about as uh, in terms of cryptocurrency. What defines a cryptocurrency? What is the difference between Bitcoin and something like XRP? And, and obviously this is, I feel like you're a great person to ask about this because yeah. um, uh, what would you say is the biggest difference between like a tokenized asset and something like a Bitcoin? Yeah. I, I want to pine on XRP because I believe there's legal proceedings <laughs> in the process already on, with, with, uh, with Ripple. It's interesting because so so I go back to, to the SEC and you know they've indicated that their stance today is that Bitcoin and Ethereum in their current state are not securities, mm-hmm. but they have not opined on the fact of when they first launched were they securities. Because I think there's arguments to be made either way, but in their current state, they are not securities, and, and they've taken a position that that they're decentralized enough that there's not one controlling party, et cetera. And so it, I bring that up simply to kind of indicate that it, it's almost a bit of a spectrum, if you will, right? And the SEC has indicated as such in their recent guidance, they've, yeah. they've hinted at that. Unfortunately, they didn't provide sort of the rules around when that threshold mark is met, that you transition from being a security to not. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've indicated that they, they believe that, that there are instruments that can start as a security and then at some point one day not be a security once they become decentralized enough. Sure. But that, that's a very gray area right now. And so so it doesn't, I don't know if that directly answers your question, but it kind of indicates that it's, it's, it's not very binary. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not as clean cut as, as it should be perhaps. And so mm-hmm. that, that's where, again, a lot of people would say, hey, we need more guidance from the regulators because there's a lot of people who feel like they're in a limbo land. But 
but but certainly, you know, you go back to the Howey test. You know, if there's a common enterprise where you're you're putting money in with the expectation of some sort of profit yeah. um, based off the work of others, um, that's a security, right? Yeah. And so so there, there's a big um, you know wide swath of, of land that's very crystal clear when you're a security. But then you start getting into those those edge cases where you know something like a ripple is it a security or is it decentralized enough now that it's it's not right that, that it doesn't classify as such and so in particular with ripple that you know we'll hear from the court soon uh, on that matter but but certainly a lot of the projects that um, came out in 2017 and 2018 mm-hmm. would, would more likely than not be classified as securities gotcha yeah, it was uh, it was interesting when um, when the SEC put out that their guidelines. On one hand, it seemed like, as you were saying, they were rehashing things that they said before, but they were using more contemporary examples right. of how to apply it. So, I mean, a lot of people thought like, okay, good, that's you know, yeah. that you're you're adding relevant examples to to this question. Other people called it like it was actually pretty shocking. Somebody in an article that I read, I believe in Bloomberg's, called it an overt declaration of war on cryptocurrencies, which I thought was a little dramatic. Yeah, I mean, I I, I believe I even read another piece that just said it was just a broad overreach. Um, So certainly a lot of opinions on the market. I think as I read the document, I almost felt that it it almost read a little bit also like the SEC was just tired of receiving all these um, um, nonsensical inquiries of, hey, I, I believe my token's not a security. Can you give me guidance? And, and they, they would take a couple of looks at it and say, oh, yeah, that's 100% a security. So it was almost, it was just really trying to hammer home, like, the the the, the classic examples of, like, what would be considered a security. Yeah, um, yeah I can see where, where, where some of the, um, some of the, the, the lashback, if you will, is around, you know, again, those edge cases, right? Like, yeah. how, at what point does something stop becoming a, a security. Yeah. Um, at what point does it become decentralized enough? Yeah. Right. I think I believe they identified a new term in their guidance document um, around affiliate person yeah. or something like that. I believe it was affiliates or something to that effect that an affiliate could be the developers of the project or someone that's promoting or marketing or someone that that is a um, um, you know, for example, some folks set up nonprofits to manage their token offerings and they, they felt that, that would kind of get them around securities laws um, and so so they they provided some sort of definitions around okay so if there's some sort of centralized figure that's that that benefits or controls or manages or just something that then yields that broader um, you know the value creation and, and potential returns to the investors and then that that's a security and so it's you know I, I would say I'd say let's go with the 80-20 rule here. I think I feel like for 80% of the cases out there, it, it just provided further clarity on, hey, you're you're very much likely a security. Yeah. And then there's 20 that those 20, you know, percent those edge cases around like, well, yes, this looks like a protocol layer, you know, something that could in theory be decentralized enough even from the get-go, but but certainly a lot, a lot of the folks that we've been speaking with lately, they they feel that the conservative approach is to treat your offering like a security offering initially. Mm-hmm. And then if over the lifetime of a project it becomes decentralized enough, then you can sort of petition to say, we'd like to be considered to not be a security anymore. Right. Right. So that seems to be one path forward right now, but, but certainly there, there's a lot of opinions out there on that. When uh, when that when those guidelines were published, did that did that affect OFN in any way? Did you notice an uptick in applications for Security token offerings on OFN or anything like that. 
Yeah, anytime the regulators provide additional clarity, it, 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 to us, it helps us in terms of legitimizing the market and really removing that, that stigma of the ICO days where you know, a lot of people felt that there was a lot of inappropriate activities on the markets. Um, and so any, any type of clarity, any announcements, any guidance, reminders, anything can really serves to um, you know, provide a, 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 a jolt, if you will, to the market. And, and, and we, do see, we do see a lot of folks that then start to come forward and say, okay, like, it seems pretty evident now that we're like the security, you know, we'd love to chat with you about trying to figure out how to list our product on your platform. So we've been talking a lot about uh, security token offerings and regulation and so forth. Aside from regulatory clarity and the need for an actual infrastructure in this market, mm-hmm. do you, have you noticed any other um, anything else that you think would probably help the markets mature? I mean, there's there's general education needed, um, but but that that that's an that's an obvious one, right? I think as a whole, you know, from things like clarifying the terminology around, you know, is it a security token? Is it a tokenized security? Is it a digital security, etc. Um, and then just you know getting people familiar with the technology and 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 what the benefits are of the technology. Um, general education is obviously one that is needed across the board. Uh, the other one, we, we I feel again this might sound obvious, but just some sort of you know we're seeing a lot of exciting projects come down the pipeline, and each one we think is going to sort of hit that mainstream level of attention, right? So, sure. so there was. Those I think last year there was there was a rumblings of perhaps like a New York, like a downtown Manhattan office building like being tokenized and it, and yeah. it made it made the news and, and it was on CNBC and I think uh, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank was involved somehow and then it, and then it dissipated because the, the deal didn't come to fruition. So you know for us if there is some sort of um, you know name brand type uh, participant that comes to the market we think that's going to certainly raise the profile and, and, and really kind of bring um, these types of digital securities formats out to a broader audience. And so mm-hmm. that's, you know, education and awareness, I guess, I and mean, those are two kind of sure. obvious answers, but uh, that, that, that's that's what we see out there. Sure. Uh, well, as far as the rest of 2019, I, I, I know you briefly touched on a couple of things, but do you have any... Um, do you have any predictions? Like, is Bitcoin going to reach twenty k again? Or I, I did. We joke around in the office that like you just can, you should never make, especially price predictions. Uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like just so many people get burned by by making yeah. ridiculous price predictions. Although I do feel at some point, a couple months ago, I was like, I, I, we're not at the bottom yet, and, and someone ran with that on the, on, on some press coverage and like. Juan Hernandez calls not at the bottom yet. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know what that means. No. Um, yeah. So in terms of predictions, you know, um, for us, one of the things we see, um, you know, a, a the ideal asset class we think for 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 digital securities is um, well, one of the better ones is, is real estate. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've seen a lot of interest on the real estate side, not just at at the um, uh, sort of. Uh, retail side, but also at the institutional level. So one of the predictions that we have for this year is that we'll see a large name uh, institutional real estate player enter the market. Um, and, and it won't be to digitize one of their large offerings. It'll likely be some sort of sidecar mechanism. So those, so someone will come forward that will be raising a billion dollar fund, and maybe they'll carve out 100 or 200 million of the fund in some sort of sidecar vehicle and allow that to be tokenized. So that's something that we 
we feel, you know, by end of this year, we'll likely see something, or at least there'll be news broken of, of someone exploring that market. Because um, it, it simply provides, will provide that um, asset manager with direct access to these new capital markets. And certainly that's something that's going to be very attractive going forward. Another prediction, as I mentioned earlier already, you know, the, the, some sort of guidance around custody. Um, we think the SEC will, will provide this guidance in the second half of the year. Um, and, and that may be also sort of a, 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 once that happens, then the real estate issuer, you know, will feel more comfortable coming forward and announcing it. So those, those are two big ones that we see out there as, as the market continues to mature and evolve in a way down the road. Do you, uh, is there anything uh, coming down the pike that you'd like to announce or talk about? Uh, I do encourage people to come to the platform at openfinance.io. Um, we have a lot of educational material out there that will help people get up to speed with, with, with the markets and this digital format. And then, um, you know, obviously encouraging listeners to, to sign up on the platform and explore uh, the different material we have online. Fantastic. Well, Juan, thank you so much for coming into the studio to talk with us. Yeah, absolutely, uh, man. I had a great time talking with you today. Yeah, yeah. always love uh, meeting up with you guys. For more news, videos, and podcasts like this, head over to johnlothiannews.com.